Hello and welcome to IoT at the Edge, the podcast for the industrial IoT practitioner, evangelist, and skeptic. In this podcast, we cut through all the marketing hype and technical babble to bring you insights and clarity on the industrial Internet of Things. Now, here's your host, Mike Farian. Welcome to the IoT at the Edge podcast. Today, we're talking about a specialized application of video analytics and AI, and one that's faced some scrutiny and controversy, and that's facial recognition. Now, AI technology is here. Its applications and capabilities are growing rapidly. But as is often the case with new technologies, you know, the technology growth itself is outpacing regulation. Joining me for today's discussion is Dieter Yaka, CTO of AnyVision, who's an AI-focused company using video analytics to enhance safety, security, and convenience. Welcome, Dieter. I am thrilled to have you here joining me today. Hi, Mike. Uh, happy to be here, actually. Uh, and um, so thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, sounds very interesting. I mean, I heard a lot of your podcast already, so I'm looking forward to an interesting discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, so let's, let's kick off with a discussion on, on the applications that AnyVision enables. And so can you help us understand the, the scope of what, what you do and how the technology can be used? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, AnyVision is basically starting off a couple of years ago with deep learning visual AI. The main focus field at the time was uh, facial recognition and still is. That means um, what happened a couple of years ago, as you may know, um, at the Hong Kong University, scientists basically came up with an algorithm, which first time was on par as humans, basically, to make facial recognition works. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, Anivision tried to improve this algorithm over time for the use cases, which are really like in cooperative use cases. So not necessarily only access control, but also, you know, very strange angles and uh, different viewing condition by using existing already installed cameras in particular, where you cannot control lighting and stuff like that. Got it. And, and from somewhat I've read, you know, any vision, you're not just focused on, it's not only facial recognition, like you mentioned, there's other angles, but there's a lot of different ways to recognize a person, right? No, absolutely. I mean, um, facial recognition is only one part of uh, yeah, identification technology. We also have a full body detection called where we can recognize same person in an instance, basically, and, and, and look, basically, is it the same person, even when you don't see the face? Like humans do that as well, right? We, we do realize basically the same person. Uh, so absolutely no problem. Yeah. So can you talk about some of the application areas that, that we you take that technology into? Yeah, I mean, um, it's mainly security based, right? So some of the applications are to give in casino as an example, because it's one of our bigger customer, like an MGM casino. Uh, they are looking for, how can I say, yeah, unwanted person in the casino, let's say it like this. Mm -hmm. Um, like uh, people who are yeah counting cards or stuff like that, which are on a list. But they, they are also, how can I say, people who has a disease of playing, right? To put themselves voluntarily on a list. And ah. if they come into a casino, you know, oh, wow, please don't let me play, you know, <laughs> kind of list. And uh, yeah. then an alarm pops up, you know, which we call life alarming. We know, we say this is a personal identity and uh, yeah. Okay. You are interacting. 
Yeah. Then, you know, another area that I've seen um, any vision in is a lot of emphasis now on, on touchless, you know, so touchless access control and, and, um, and uh, creating safer public spaces and shared spaces. No, absolutely. I mean, with the whole uh, pandemic uh, around, right. Uh, everything you touch is uh, something which is a, it's a difficult thing. So touchless access becomes uh, very prominent and uh, yeah, your face is basically your identity so you can open doors with it. I mean, we know it from our iPhones and other applications. Mm-hmm. So it's basically just a bigger distance. Here, it's actually a slightly different problem than the use case in the Cardino. Here, the problem is in addition to know it's the same person, is the person a live person or does he has a, I don't know, mask on or just show me the picture of an iPad uh, or mm, somebody else, right. you know? So it's more the... The emphasis goes from the pure facial recognition to is this person a live person or not? Got it. Got it. Yeah. And it's interesting with recent trends driven by the pandemic, not only do we have concern about, you know, use of shared public spaces and and authorization and, you know, who should be where, but also there's a a much stronger trend towards remote work. Um, So whether it's, you know, telemedicine or remote access to, to critical systems, um, so it seems like there's a strong play for any vision there as well. No, absolutely. I mean, um, it's it's also even when you come back from pandemic, right? I mean, uh, it, it has to be organized, right? It has to be number of people might be limited to a certain space and, and all these type of things. Are these people allowed on one day? Other people allowed on another day? So that becomes much, much more, how can I say, controlled. Or if you think about, the first countries now we see green passport, you know, you are vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? Right. With different rights than others. So the whole identification and everything like that gets, uh, yeah, much more emphasized in this, in this respect. Yeah. Interesting. So, so one concept I've heard you describe that uh, was really intriguing to me is the concept of a, a digital twin of a human. You know, so there's a lot of, in the industrial world, especially a lot of uh, focus on digital twins and it's quite interesting and maybe a little uh, disturbing sometimes to think of, uh, you know, a digital twin of a human. But uh, there's a number of applications where you can think of that if you could just model that person uh, and their behavior, maybe it's the paths they've traveled. Um, maybe it's in an industrial environment, uh, warehouse logistics, you know, is it and, and modeling, uh, you know, basically a digital twin of how that person works allows you to do probably a whole lot of things around safety, uh, security, but also um, you know, health and um, convenience and, and efficiency. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Mike, the, the, the point is, I mean, uh, in Industry 4.0, um, you, you basically, a robot is designed by a model, so to say. So you have the digital robot first, then you do the real robot. Uh, with humans, you could do this is basically the same thing. You can have a generic, uh, how can I say, digital human, right, who's just running around and makes simulations with interactive machines or in security, safety, evacuation scenarios. But then it's very difficult to get the real human, the physical human, so to say, connected to your digital twin because (laughs) you don't have the ship of, uh, you know, uh, implemented yet, which gives all the sensoric information back. And uh, that means uh, visual information is a good way of understanding the pose of the person. Where are the hands? Are they in a dangerous area, like in an industrial environment? Or what is he doing? Is he falling? Is he slipping? Uh, yeah, 
is it fitting to my simulation? I mean, very important in safety for an evacuation scenario, to give you an example, if somebody is falling, you should immediately see it and, and take possible reaction, maybe dynamic evacuation or whatever, where you do a lot of simulation how to evacuate a building with the digital version of it. But in the real world, you have to reflect always back what the real persons are doing and how they behave. And that is the reason why any vision goes in the direction of understanding the human as such to connect basically the virtual with the physical world as we don't have the sensor information engraved right. in, in our biological being, right? Yeah, at least at least not yet, right? No, no, no. <laughs> Mr. Musk is giving us a ship, maybe. But... <laughs> yes, it sounds like he's making progress in there, which is, is both exciting and, and scary as well. So, so let's shift a little bit to the security and privacy side of this thing. So, so obviously, it's a pretty hot topic. So could you describe some of the general concerns of the market um, you know, around this technology? I mean, it's with, with, with all technology, as I said earlier, nowadays, facial recognition is actually better than human capabilities. So it means mm-hmm. we are exceeding these kind of capabilities. And uh, there is a big potential to do bad things with facial recognition. And uh, we see that minority is being detected by facial recognition. The press is full of that, right? right. Sometimes in different countries. But the, the, the point is here that also there's a lot of talk about does facial recognition identify people of different skin color in the same way, the bias problem. Right. But, but with all technology, when they get to in such a good level, better than humans, it gets a slightly scary, Right. That means we need procedures and, and, and legislation, how to use them, in my view, which is very important. Because you can do not good things with it, but you can also do very good things with it. Right. So, right. and that needs, needs control, right? So, um, everybody is looking, um, yeah, to do a, a fair facial recognition, right? I mean, we, we like, like every AI company these days, right? You get tons of data in, how to deal with this data, how to deal with uh, the content of people uh, to use data and stuff like that. It's a very important topic. So, be very early in any vision, adhere to the like similar six rules of Microsoft to do fair AI, you know, and do even audits of that and stuff like that. So it's it's very important to be balanced in this approach. Right, right. And, and you have a, a particular technique you use for maintaining privacy data, correct? So- that is correct, actually. Uh, we What we try to do is uh, separate the databases, basically, uh, because a vector, I mean, which describes the identity of your face and the pictures themselves are kind of separated in in, in our case. The vector itself cannot be backwards tracked to your face. So it's a very highly encrypted because a neural network is generating that with a million dimensional network. So there's no way to get the vector back to your face. Um, That means... uh, if you separate that and use only the mathematical description of your vector to compare it, uh, there is actually no harm, you know, even if you lose a vector, right, that somebody can do it with. Uh, so the pictures themselves are actually the ones which are uh, the more dangerous one, which should be something else. And, and many industries, apart from facial recognition, do record pictures, right? I mean, right. Basically. <laughs> so there's not any special for facial recognition, just the combination of it. 
I see. Makes it, uh, makes it uh, the possible uh, problematic thing. And that's the reason why to separate them in totally different databases with different access rights, and maybe even if you want to, that depends on our customers, different procedures and locations is something we do support. I see. So it, it would seem like that that technique would work very well in a hardware architecture around edge computing, right? So you could you know, drive that uh, algorithm to the edge. The, the edge computing is uh, a key step in making it even more privacy, how can I say, acceptable. Because basically the raw pictures comes into the edge device. Uh, of course, the edge device has a meaning and uh, she seeing the full raw picture. But then the edge device processes all the algorithms, and what comes out of it is the raw vector I just talked about, right? Okay. Not necessarily actually the picture. That means uh, the, the, the kind of other faces you might see or other stuff you see, the edge device is not even transferring to the center. So right. you just describe a kind of vector, and only if on the other side you have a list of vectors, right, generated by an enrolled list could be also a whitelist, right? Of uh, no VIP customers in the casino you want to greet very well or whatever, right? Right. Um, it takes these vectors, compare them, and that's what the system knows, right? So that means not all the faces, like in other security applications, non-facial recognition applications, where you see all the faces and recordings. In this case, the edge device is the only one who really knows, actually, all the pictures. The rest is right. kind of vector comparison, right? Mathematical vector comparison. Yeah, yeah. So the edge device is really kind of a gateway, right? Which can, uh, which enable us uh, to to do such things as well. Or yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or we can faces or full bodies at the edge device before we transfer them, right? Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot of those applications with our rugged, you know, NVIDIA GPU-based hardware you know, installed out at the edge. And it sounds like, you know, so that not only, you know, has, has a number of nice side effects from that that architecture. One is the the security privacy side of things, ensuring that uh, that the real sensitive data, you know, is never broadcast over a network or stored, um, but also dramatically reduces the network um, requirements, right? And the storage requirements, because we're not, there's no need to store all that unprocessed raw data, which which also carries the privacy concerns along with it. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the edge device is based on uh, ships like a Jetson design, be Xavier Nex or Jetson Nano or something like that are perfectly capable of running our algorithm, which are highly optimized to run even more than one camera on the single edge device. This is already installed and stuff like that. So that is uh, something which helps a lot. And also it helps us if we want to bring certain functionality into the cloud to not have unnecessary data traffic, as you said, right, from the edge device toward the cloud because you cannot really send hundreds of cameras to the cloud to processing there, right? And that exposes all this privacy concerning picture data to the cloud right in our right. case we are filtering it out at the edge so yeah yeah and just to give a you know some scope of how much data we're talking about you know uh, uh, an hd camera is like you know a gigabit per minute right or gigabyte per per minute of data yeah the raw data is uh, far too high to transfer out of the camera anyway right but even if you compress it let's say like this like on your netflix you know right. or whatever right it's still in a 4K camera case, it's 10 to 20 megabits per camera. 
which means if you have hundreds of cameras, right, uh, the upload bandwidth from your site to somewhere, be the on-prem server or the cloud, is uh, far too high. So that doesn't work really. And yeah. uh, that gives us also the ability to process better data because if we are not at the edge device, we have to live with compressed data, only 20 megabit. But the raw data mm. is it's gigabytes. So it's like two to three gigabytes per second. You cannot transfer anywhere, even locally, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense, and um, certainly is driving a lot of this edge compute architecture. Um, you know, we, we've seen it in in a number of industries, but as you know, the the compelling case for it is is usually driven over the edge as soon as we start talking about video applications, just because of those uh, those bandwidth uh, issues. And then when you throw on the um, you know the the privacy um, angle to that, it gets yeah, it gets very compelling. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's. I think we are living in a very good timing now because now the processing devices at the edge becomes powerful enough to do so. Because just uh, simple in quotes, right? <laughs> CPU cannot load cannot do the load of a video AI algorithm, and right. the the facial recognition networks are kind of a very yeah very heavy networks because they not just do a classification between you know I don't know an, an apple or Peer or bananas, right? We we have to find the fine granular details of your face and engrave them in a mathematical vector. So that it's it's very deep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one one uh, you know current issue that I'm sure has been um, you know a relatively new one for for you and and everybody in the industry a year ago is when we all started wearing face masks. You know how. How did that impact uh, you know, facial recognition? Did that cause an, a need to retool algorithms or uh, or adapt easily? Not retool, but adapt. I mean, uh, the, the, the problematic part is basically the facial recognition uh, algorithm consists of many stages, right? First, you detect the face. As mm-hmm. such, there is a face. Then you are looking for key points, so to say. That means the edges of your eyes, the inner eye, your mouth, you know, nose and stuff like that. And now all of a sudden you're wearing a mask, the key points of your mouse are kind of uh, occluded mm-hmm. by the mask, right? So yes, that, that does change something. But when you look to the ability of uh, these networks, of our neural networks, they, they can live very well with the portion of your face, which is the eye region, right? Uh, basically, this is a lot of details, you know, your eyebrows, your, your eyes as such, uh, your, your bones are still visible on top of the mask, uh, which is sufficient to do good recognition. You are a little bit suffering slightly less accuracy because you simply have less data, right, on your face. To right. So does that imply that there's a pretty big challenge if I put on my face mask and some sunglasses? I mean, the... if you would uh, do have a face mask, uh, reflective sunglass, yeah, to make yeah, it yeah. worse, and a baseball cap in your face, I think it gets a little bit tricky. Then, of course, uh, it is uh, very difficult to still uh, recognize. Absolutely. Yeah, in- interesting. So, going back, so any vision that you, you operate in many, many countries, I, I think 40 to 50 different countries, and, and there must be the regulatory framework around this or, or maybe lack of or emerging regulatory framework, it must be incredibly complex just in a single country, but let alone you know, around the world like that. 
Uh, can you describe, you know, your perception of where things are at in terms of regulations catching up with the technology? And, and are there any countries or regions that you see as being particularly advanced or progressive um, with this? I mean, what you see is in the East, uh, let's say, uh, yeah, I mean, we are, we are not busy in China, but there it's all over the place and there is no regulatory. So right. it's an easy one, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically around that, we see, um, um, how can I say, uh, be it uh, in the Philippines or let me say in other Asian countries. Um, there, there is actually not so much of an, how can I say, dispute about it. Sometimes I see also more the benefit because there's maybe the threat level higher in some countries that you want to find uh, people which are doing bad things, mm -hmm. which has a higher value than protecting privacy even sometimes. Right? So right. It depends highly on the application. And as you know, in the US, it even depends on states, right? So states have different rules for that, right? Some states have very high one. One have very low one, and that is also changing a lot. I have to say so. But we have uh, partners where we normally go together with to market, which does sometimes at applications or installing the things. Um, and um, yeah, so we we keep ourselves up to date, you know, on all these things. And of course, uh, our headquarters is in Israel. There also we know, of course, uh, what is going on and, and, and how to deploy these things. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting um, and complex topic because, you know, we, we're, we're nervous about the AI side of it. But in reality, we've been using cameras for years, but it's usually been humans looking at those cameras. Right. And that's that's not a flawless situation either. It's a little bit, uh, as I said earlier, I mean, it's a, it's a very powerful tool. But uh, also humans are, by the way, very biased. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I know by myself, I was working in Japan for uh, three to four years, right? When I came first to Japan, they all look equal to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so after like three to four months, uh, my bias against uh, Japanese was gone because my training data about different faces of Japanese gets better <laughs> and better, right? Right, right. <laughs> to use some AI terms, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, I saw the nuances and, 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 and differences. So it is indeed, um, yeah, it's a very interesting but challenging topic, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and not only on the bias side, but, but privacy as well. So if these cameras are out there and they're actually recording data and humans have access to that data, that means we're putting our trust in those humans not to share that data in places that it, that it shouldn't be. So in, in some ways, you know, while it seems like a bit of a spooky issue, but the reality is it's a lot easier to apply rules of engagement with, with machines than it is people, isn't it? No, I mean, the people are, I saw cases in my previous life that people are posted security clips. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't. As a security guard, you know, on their Facebook, you know, on whatever. Oh, I saw this guy, you know and even selling the stuff to whatever, right? So this is something which is also difficult to control what they do with the data. And also the problem with humans is, do they pay attention what is going on, right? There's a lot of uh, videos you see where a guard is sitting there in front of a lot of monitors with a newspaper, you know, right. and in front of them really bad things happens and uh, nothing is done. So I, I think... Um, the only only way to to get a 24/7 attention to the right thing 
is to do that in an automation fashion. Um, and also, yes, you do have to control the process and which rules you apply to this automation, as, as always, right? right? But humans are, yeah, less controllable, I have to admit, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, when you when you think about that, it's, it's certainly not a uh, it's it's a nuanced nuanced issue. And uh, you know, it looks like with with good regulatory and, and discipline around kind of fair and ethical use, there's there's just a whole lot of interesting use cases, and, and we're constantly you know faced with this trade off of convenience versus privacy and security and, and such. Um, and, and certainly over time, we've been making many, you know, all of us carrying around our, our smartphones, <laughs> consciously or not, have been making many, yeah. many trade-offs in that, that area. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very, very bizarre on some hand, right? It's also when I talk with friends even. I mean, I live in Germany, and this is known as a country to be very conservative. In right. Having cameras in public, and we even do pixelization of Google Maps in Germany and stuff like hmm. that, right? So... <laughs> But on the other end, you you see when you are in public, you know, people uh, opening their phone with their face, you know, <laughs> making photos of everybody without asking, yeah? posting that on Facebook, you know, and so on and so forth. And then you say, oh, I'm working for a facial recognition company. Oh, my God, Dieter, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really interesting. So, so oh, go ahead. It's, it's always a balance, as you said, right, between uh, what, what, what is the convenience, right, you get from it and, 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 and what is the privacy. You, you, you might have to get up. And uh, another aspect is without understanding the humans, their faces, their body and everything, how can I get rid of them in a picture if I want to preserve a certain identity mm. without detecting them? So... In GPDR, for example, it's allowed to pixelize the face, right? Then okay. you are GPDR compliant or erase the total body out of the picture. But how do you do that? Yeah, first you detect the face, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> huh. Otherwise, how would you pixelize it, right? Right. Yeah, interesting. It, it's certainly going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I, I don't get a whole lot of entertainment value out of watching regulatory uh, work um, <laughs> progress, but this is going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know how this unfolds around the world, especially in different countries with different cultures and in uh, views on uh, you know privacy, security, and and just levels of trust, right? In in uh, you know in the regulatory community or our governments and such. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's in the end of the day, it's a, it's a procedural problem, right? Uh, to to make it happen. And there's a lot of bad press sometimes that you, I don't know, have a person and you put into jail because of facial recognition. I mean, there must be at least like three humans saying yes to it, right? right. Not just the machine who takes him and put him to jail, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, very true. It's a, <clears throat> that's really about creating, you know, the proper framework and, uh, and, and being aware of the potential for misuse, you know, along with, you know, understanding where, where the strengths are. Absolutely. So, Dieter, this is really an exciting technology, and, and with many things, we're faced with trade-offs between privacy, security, and convenience. So it's really going to be fascinating to see how both the technology and the regulations that surround it unfold really around the world. So thank you so much for joining me today. And if somebody wants to reach out to yourself or AnyVision, uh, what's a good way to get a hold of you guys? No, no, we have an AnyVision uh, public address. I mean, we have uh, AnyVision, uh, basically, .co, basically, the webpage, right? 
Uh, and um, I'm also on LinkedIn, so everybody who wants to get hold of myself, uh, my name is Dieter Jöcker, and uh, I'm the CTO of AnyVision. Perfect. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, Dieter. Have a great afternoon. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of IoT at the Edge. Be sure and subscribe. And as always, for more information on Advantech's industrial IoT solutions, point your web browser to advantech.com.